Good morning, everybody. I want to extend a special welcome to the Van Veens who are here with us. Um, and uh, it's always so such a blessing when our missionaries come to visit. Um, and so anyway, if you're able to stick around afterwards to hear about what God's doing uh, with their ministry in France, please do that. Um, and uh, I think we have food for you, I think. I won't promise it just so that it doesn't come back to me, but um, I think there is. So if that gets you excited, then there you go. Um, so uh, also we have uh, a member of our church family. Uh, his name is Danny. He's one of our college students and his family's really grieving right now. He just lost his big brother this last week unexpectedly. And he just asked if, uh, if our church family would pray for him this morning. And so we're going to do that together right now. So if you'd pray with me, I'd appreciate that. Father, we just pray for Danny and the whole Riley family. Um, and uh, God, in, in moments like this, there's not a whole lot to say. Um, but we do come to you knowing that you are the one who can bring beauty from ashes. We also know that you promise in your word that you are close to the brokenhearted. And you save those who are crushed in spirit. And we know that their family's going through this right now. It's got a mom and dad who are missing their son, a, a wife who's missing her husband, a little boy who's missing his dad, brother missing a brother. And um, so, Jesus, we just pray that they would feel your presence right there with them as they cry and as they remember and laugh and um, go through all the different waves of emotion and grief. And, Father, we thank you that we don't you never ask us to walk through that stuff alone either. That Thank you um, that we can come alongside in, in whatever ways that we can. And we ask that you would continue to bring people around them to comfort them. And uh, Father, we also just thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you for um, you just being right there in that last moment to pull DJ into your arms. And we thank you that in Christ, um, that these very, very difficult goodbyes are not forever goodbyes. And that in fact, we have all of eternity to spend with, um, with our loved ones uh, through Jesus. And so we just ask that, um, again, just for your, uh, just your peace that goes beyond understanding to, to guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, and we uh, just entrust all that to, to you, um, the only one who's able to comfort in the way that you do. If we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we have been, the last few weeks have been talking about relationships, and uh, last week, Chad spoke on marriage. I would just highly recommend, if you were not here, weren't able to hear that, um, please go back and listen to it. I've heard quite a few talks on marriages, a lot of great advice on, on marriage and things like that, but I don't think I've ever heard such an amazing, like gospel applied to marriage kind of talk ever in my life. So please go back and watch it. Even if you're not married, like please watch that. Um, I was just super, super blessed by that. And I'm gonna be continuing on today um, addressing marriage again. And I just want to be clear on the front end that as I talk about, I'm, I'm going to be talking about kind of like the conflict that we experience 
in marriage relationships. And I just want to be very clear. I'm not talking about situations of abuse. I just in no way do, do I want that to get somehow lumped in with the kind of conflict that I'm talking about. And if you're in a situation where you're experiencing abuse, I, I just highly encourage you, you need to contact the authorities. You need to get help. You need to get safe. Um, and, and we're willing to do that and, and help you in the ways that we can as well. Um, but I just want to be clear that that's not what we're talking about this morning. Um, we're talking about the kind of normal relational conflict that happens in marriage. So as with, I think, almost every talk in this series, we're going to start just real briefly in Genesis. Because when we look at the beginning of Genesis, we get to see things as God meant them to be. We experience a lot of turmoil and confusion in our lives because it's like, why is life like this? Well, one answer to that question is, well, it wasn't supposed to be like this. So we look at Genesis and we see in Genesis 1:27, you know, there's been this whole thing throughout the first chapter of Genesis that like God made this and it was good. God made this and it was good. God made this and it was good. And then it comes to Genesis 1:27. It says, so God created man or humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God made humans, male and female, all of us in his image to, to, to participate in, and share in his character. And he, after this, he said, it was very good. So there's kind of this, it is finished sort of thing. And then on the seventh day, right after he rests and Adam and Eve just come into being experiencing this kind of goodness. And God, particularly for them, you know, that he kind of makes the statement in Genesis chapter two, that it's not good for man to be alone. Part of God's character is that he has always existed in community. That's something that Joe talked about the first week of this series. God has always existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this relationship um, with himself. And so to, to participate in God's character, we have to have one another. We can't actually be human the way we were created to on our own. And God, even uh, on top of that, makes a special relationship called marriage. And you have to imagine a little bit of what Adam and Eve were experiencing, that they were experiencing this kind of beautiful, amazing relationship that was totally free from shame or anxiety, um, free from the hurt of past stuff. Uh, they weren't defensive. They didn't lash out at one another. They didn't put each other down. They always served each other and just deeply enjoyed being together. So every day I was like, this is awesome. This is so, I love you so much. You know, like that was every day. And it's like, that sounds cool, but what happened? <laughs> because for those of us who are married or have been married or whatever, we understand that hopefully you got some glimpses of that. But it's not like that for us all the time, is it? In fact, it's often quite the opposite. And so it's like, if marriage is this very good thing that God made, why do we experience such difficulty? And ultimately the answer is sin. It comes real quickly. Genesis tells us, Genesis chapter three, there's sin. Again, uh, Chad talked on this last week, so please watch that. But the, the, the big thing I want us to grapple with a little bit this morning is sin is the problem, but it's not just the concept of sin, like sin out there. The, the reason that my marriage personally is difficult to me sometimes is because sin in here, because of my sin, my issues, 
My, the, the fact that sin has marred God's image in me, that we collectively as a human race, we've become selfish. We think of ourselves as being like the most important person in the room. It's like, hello, I'm here. Now the party can start. We get angry. We lash out. We dishonor other people and we put them down. So we feel better about ourselves. We get, we're petty. We hold grudges and we hold resentment against other people. We end up looking completely opposite to what we see Jesus looking like in the gospels. And so I'm convinced that the root problem in all of, all of our marriages and really any relationship that experiences difficulty, the root problem is a failure to imitate Jesus. That we don't do it the way we were created to. And in fact, we can't. So if our marriage problem comes from our sin and our inability to accurately bear God's image, then what is God's image? What is it supposed to look like? And kind of the way that I could boil it down the most is I think God's image practically looks like sacrificial, relational, and unconditional love. See, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Or what's the most important things that, what's, or what's the most important thing that humans are supposed to do? He says, love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's it. It boils down to love, love for God, love for one another. And in, in 1 John, we see him describe God as God is love, not God is loving. Like love isn't something that God does, although he does act out of his love. He himself is love. He is the definition of love. Love is not the definition of God. God is the definition of love. Everything he does is loving. And the invitation of the gospel which is the fact that Jesus died the death that we were supposed to die because we couldn't bear God's image because we always messed it up, that he died, took the punishment we deserve for that. And then he rose again so that we can actually participate in this life, that we could be ad adopted as God's kids. And so it's an invitation to be saved, forgiven, and sanctified or transformed to actually accurately bear his image as we were created to. So it's not just all my sins are forgiven. It's also, and I begin to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's the invitation of the gospel. And so Ephesians chapter five talks about exactly this. It says in verses one and two, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's this invitation to, hey, take on a new spiritual DNA as God's kids. That you enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, you get like a gospel DNA infusion called the Holy Spirit who lives in us and helps us to actually begin to live out the kind of life that Jesus has made us to live. But I want us to notice what it says here. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and what? It doesn't say felt some strong feelings for us. Although scripture definitely says that, but the ultimate pinnacle or evidence of his love was that he gave himself up for us on the cross. So what does God's love look like? If that's the kind of image that we're supposed to bear, it looks like Jesus on the cross. That's what God's love looks like. See, love is both a choice and an action behind that choice. 
Like if we were to go around the room, and I won't because I know that we, you know, we're a little Scandinavian here. We don't like to get verbally involved in ch at church. That's okay. I'm not trying to throw a pop quiz on you. So, but if we were to go around the room and I was going to just ask for, you know, what, what, do we, what do we need for healthy marriages? Like what are things that you need in marriage to have a great healthy marriage? I guarantee you probably 95 at least percent of those things would be actual choices that you make. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to, you know, whatever. Like all the things that we would say that are important to marriage. And we're going to talk about some of those things this morning. But what we see is that love is ultimately a choice. It's a choice to sacrifice. It's a choice. And as a sinful person, what my choice is <laughs> to have a healthy marriage is I need to die to myself. I need to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to bear God's image. Now, obviously the cross that we bear is not the cross of punishment for our sin, but it's a, it's a, it's a cross of death to myself, turning from my flesh and allowing the Holy Spirit to control me. So where does this start? How can we do this in our marriages? Um, we're going to look at a couple of simple passages, and ironically, and, and it's funny too, like last week with Chad's uh, talk, none of these are marriage passages. And so even if you're not married this morning, um, this still all applies to you, because all, all these passages that we're going to look at are literally just following Jesus passages. They're all like, how do we be image bearers of God passages? So... As we move through these verses, even if you're not married, I just encourage you, I'm going to be speaking specifically to married couples, but I just encourage you to, to ask and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of contextualize this for you, because this, this is the case in all of our relationships, not just marriage relationships, all of our relationships. And so for those of us who are married this morning, though, what I want you to be asking is, God, what is the one thing that you want me to step into in faith that would begin to change the experience of our marriage? And so we're going to hit a few different things this morning, but what I would encourage you to do is just say, God, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that you would have me step into with you by the power of your Holy Spirit? So let's jump in. Psalm 51. This is one of my favorite and at the same time uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, passages of scripture. I come back to it all the time. But Psalm 51 says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, for some of us, we're like, what does this have to do with marriage? And then for others of us, you're like, yup. <laughs> because here's the thing about marriage is it just puts a magnifying glass or a spotlight or, you know, just it puts you in this place of your selfishness is on full display. Or I shouldn't say you, mine, okay? My selfishness in my marriage is just like under a microscope. I just, it just, because it just comes out. And with other relationships, like if you're just hanging out with your friends or whatever, you're with them for like an evening, you know, or like a few hours. And it's easy to just be like, you know what? I can be like, I can be nice right now. You can kind of shove that stuff away for like three hours. But with your spouse, you're with them all the time. And it just, you can't help it. 
It just comes out. And the stuff they say just bothers you a little more. And, the, you know, it's just like, it just bleh, comes out. And, but even more than that, even more than the spotlight being on my sin, I think it's very easy to feel like I also get a magnifying glass or a spotlight to my spouse's shortcomings. And in fact, for some of us, it might be easier to come up with that list because that's the stuff that really bothers me on a day-to-day basis, right? And now it's absolutely like it's healthy it's, and, and it's good to recognize where there's like relational issues to talk about those things, to work through those things in a healthy way, to communicate and all that stuff. That's really good. That's healthy. But the reality is, is that for, for me and for each of us, we have no control over our spouse's behavior, do we? And we also have no power to change their behavior. We wish we did. <laughs> We wish God had given us that power, but he is not. He's the only one that can change our hearts from the inside out and and then ultimately change our behavior from that. What God has given us responsibility for, even as a spouse, is our own behavior. And Adam and Eve, like the, the, the moment that they took the fruit, God shows up. What's the first thing they do? Blame. And I think we have a big blame problem in our marriages. Okay, sorry. I have a big blame problem in my marriage. Because again, what do Adam and Eve do? God's like, Adam, what did you just do? He's like, oh, Eve ate it first. And then she gave it. What was I supposed to do? And then Eve was like, well, the serpent said it was a good idea. And in fact, you know, Adam's like, and this is the wife you gave to me, God. <laughs> it's <was> very creative. <laughs> but you just see, like, you read it, and you're like, that falls so flat. Yet most of us think, like, oh, if my spouse was XYZ, you know, God, then I would do a better job. But I promise that when we stand in front of God, we're not going to have any excuses. We're not going to have any excuses. And yeah, maybe there were some things that happened that made me get like emotionally heightened and I, and I lashed out or I said something hurtful and it's like, well, if, you know, if she wouldn't have this or uh, then I wouldn't have. Uh. I ultimately, we do things because we want to do those things. Yeah, maybe there's a part of you that wish you didn't or whatever. But the reason we make a choice is because I want to make that choice. Yeah, maybe whoever or whatever did something that made me angry, but I chose to lash out. I chose to, you know, that was my choice. And I took that action. I can't blame that on anybody else. And it's even more uncomfortable that when we look at Jesus, because was Jesus ever sinned against? Uh, Yeah, all the time. I mean, he was like... Just look at the last few days of his life. Betrayed by one of his disciples. And then like taken through this horrible, like fake trial. And it's just so bad. Did he ever stop loving? No. That's the image of God. That's what I'm invited into in my marriage. And let me just tell you, 
because I've experienced this for myself, when we start praying more about the sin in our own lives than the sin that we see in our spouse, it completely changes our marriage. Now, I'm not saying like, I'm, absolutely. If there's, a, if there's something going on in your marriage, bring it to Jesus for sure. But if you find that it's like, oh God, my spouse is doing this again. Please change them but there's not a whole lot going on for yourself, just be careful. Because we all want to be married to somebody who loves us like Jesus, <laughs> but not many of us want to go through the process of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Because what's the, what's the core issue? I just want to be comfortable. I just want to feel okay about my life. And so if my spouse would just be super cool to me all the time and just always love and serve me regardless of what I did <laughs> or do, then I would be so comfortable. But I have no control over that, right? And ultimately, I think it's important what Jesus said. He, he tells this story. He, he, tell, he, he kind of brings this point up a, a lot. He tells us this parable about this guy who goes and he owes this big debt. And he goes to the guy he owes it to and the guy's like, hey, it's forgiven. This guy owes like, you know, a billion dollars. Like he's never going to pay it back. This guy's like, it's okay. It's all forgiven. Then he goes out and he finds somebody else who owes him like 10 bucks. And he's like, gets him thrown in jail. Jesus is very concerned about our ability to forgive and even just the way that we receive his forgiveness. See, because if we're coming to God every day, recognizing that I need mercy, I need grace, I need forgiveness, that I will offer it so much more freely in my marriage. Because Jesus said, those who have been loved much or those who have been forgiven much, love much. It's not like some people need to be forgiven more and those people will love a lot. And some people are just real perfect and they don't really need a whole lot of forgiveness. So I don't have a lot to offer them, but you know, hopefully they are kind of loved. No, we all need so much forgiveness. And when we recognize that, we begin to love differently. So maybe for you today, this might be the thing. God's inviting you into a regular rhythm of repentance. And my advice as far as just like a practical place to start would just be Psalm 51, pray these two verses. I mean, absolutely, I read the whole chapter. It's so, it's so good. But just pray these first two verses at least every day. Just start this regular rhythm. If you already have some chair time going on, that's awesome. If you don't, maybe this is where you start. Like two minutes every day, open Psalm 51. And just begin to pray, like, have mercy on me, God. Because of your steadfast love, would you cleanse me and wash me and change me? And I guarantee you, like, that is a prayer that God will always answer quickly. So maybe that's for you. We're going to jump to the other end of the Bible. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love passage. This is the passage you hear at like every single wedding you've ever been to. Uh, but the funny thing again is this is not a marriage passage. This is a follow Jesus passage. This is, a, this is what it looks like to love like Jesus passage in all of our relationships. And so we're just going to focus on one verse because there's... I, and I spoke too long last service just on one verse. So we don't have enough time, but it starts, love is patient, right? Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. And that's where we're gonna jump in. Verse five says, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. 
and that keeps no record of wrongs. We're just going to take each one of those things and try to give ourselves a practical step. How can we do, how can we honor one another, not be self-seeking, not be easily angered, and keep no record of wrongs? So the first one, love does not dishonor, or in other words, love shows honor. Honor is not a word that we use a whole lot in our culture, but probably the closest would be respect. Um, but that's essentially what honor is, that you, you give great respect or hold somebody in high esteem. That's what it means to honor. And, you know, I just wonder, like, because we don't use that word a whole lot, it's not a concept that we maybe even think about a whole lot. When was the last time you thought about, like, how am I doing at honoring my spouse? How am I showing honor to my spouse? Because I think many of us have been lied to, and then we've continued to entertain those lies. And the lie is this, that I would be happier if my spouse was different. Or I would be happier even if we've let it continue to build, that I'd be happier if I was married to someone different. See, that is dishonoring your spouse. Because can I tell you what the reality is? Here's the reality. Here's the true statement. My spouse is a gift from God and the perfect person for me to be married to. Notice I didn't say the perfect person, period. <laughs> They're not. You're not either, okay? You're not a spring chicken yourself, okay? So be thankful to God that he gave you a spouse. And here's the thing. God does not give bad gifts. James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. The one who made the son that we depend on, right? He made your spouse and gave them to you as a good and perfect gift from him. That doesn't mean that it's always easy, but it does mean that this is what you need. See, and some of us need to begin to get into the rhythm of intentionally holding our, our spouse in high esteem in our minds. To start thinking highly about our spouse. And I promise you that God will help you with that. I promise you because he is passionate about your marriage. <laughs> he is. He will help you. Just this last week, I was listening to Chad's message and God brought to mind a thought that I'd never thought about Amberlynn before. Amberlynn is my wife, by the way. Uh, a li uh, uh, something about that I'd never thought about Amberlynn before. And it just gave me such respect for her. And it's something I'd never thought about before. And, and sometimes that has happened, like for me, in things that, about her that used to bother me sometimes that God will show me that that's actually exactly what I need in my life. Is, the, the, is just the ways that she's different from me, the way she sees things differently from me. And I've begun to learn how to respect and esteem her highly. And early in my marriage too, that was one of the big things that God really convicted me about is that I knew as a good husband, I was supposed to like, you know, get her opinion when we make a decision. <laughs> But God really revealed to me, like, I did not value that opinion really at all. I was asking her. I valued asking her. <laughs> but when she told me what she thought, if it was different than what I thought, I'm like, well, if we just talk about this a little more, you'll see that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> and she told me that, and I didn't think she was right. <laughs> and then God was like, yeah, she's right. 
And man, God forgive me for that. Because she is an image bearer of God. And let me just tell you, my life is so, there are so many things in my life that I experience God's goodness in because of her. Things that I would never think of, things that I would never even be aware of that she helps us to, to move towards. So, um, and, and also like just to keep bragging on her, she does this so well. She definitely sets the standard for this in our marriage because she just, she respects me. She talks highly of me to me and to other people behind my back. She talks well of me. Who does that, right? I don't, I don't, this is, this is grace, man. This is a good gift. And, and here's the thing. Can I tell you what that does as her spouse for me? It makes me feel loved and safe. It makes me confident that if there's a conflict, she's gonna talk to me about it and we will work it out. She's not gonna go talk to somebody else who might get a totally skewed picture of me. And when she tells me that she thinks I'm a good man, she treats to me and gives me respect like that, it makes me wanna keep being that person or be, become more of that person. So I just challenge some of you that maybe you aren't seeing your spouse clearly. Maybe you're not seeing them the way that God sees them. Maybe you've been deceived to see them more the way that the, way that the accuser sees them. A lot of your thoughts have been more accusatory. And I just encourage you to start honoring your spouse with your thoughts and your words. Maybe it's gonna start with asking for forgiveness because of ways that you've treated your spouse or even going back to somebody that you've vented to, but you need to go back and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, that was gossip. And I totally painted this person in, a, in, a, in, the, in the wrong light out of frustration. And I just, need to, I just need to say that wasn't right. And maybe for you, um, after that, after that asking for forgiveness, there's just a practical step would just be say at least one encouraging thing to your spouse every day. And maybe for you, that hasn't been a rhythm and it just needs to start with like, you just notice little things like, hey, thank you for taking the trash out. Something like that. But allow God to build that in you to the point where you can be like, man, I really see your heart and I love what I see. I see compassion. I see somebody who's hardworking and sacrificial. And just call those things out. Because unfortunately what we do all the time is we kind of hold back and we're like, oh, just prove it to me. Prove it to me. But the reality is, is if you're looking for that in your spouse, they're never gonna, they're never gonna meet your expectations. We need encouragement, people. You need it. You wish your spouse would do it, do it for your spouse. Let's continue. Um, love is not self-seeking. See, often we decide to get married to somebody based on how that person makes us feel and how we think being married to them will positively impact our life. And that's important. I mean, it, through like the dating process, you need to like weigh out, like, is this a good idea? <laughs> Does this person have like solid character? What is, what is our life going to be like together? Um, and you need to do that. However, once you get married, that process stops. 
Because when you get married, you make promises for better or worse, sickness and health, rich or poor. And you make a covenant before God where now you're saying, hey, this is now about what I give, not what I get. That's the promises that you make on your wedding day. And unfortunately, many times those promises are not kept. And I'm not just talking about um, just in situations of divorce, but in marriages where it's just like, hey, we'll stay legally married, but functionally that relationship is severed. I'm not going to hold up my end of my promises. Because ultimately, and this isn't just a marriage thing. This is a life thing. (laughs) Things don't stay good permanently. Like maybe on your wedding day, it was good. I hope. But uh, inevitably, something's going to get worse. It's going to go from better to worse. You might be healthy now, but eventually somebody's going to experience sickness physical or mental. You might be okay financially now, but something could blow up in the future. And all of a sudden we start thinking, this isn't the person I married. But newsflash, yes, it is. Maybe you didn't expect things to go this way. Maybe you didn't expect life to play out this way. Maybe you didn't expect your spouse to struggle with these things. You didn't know it. But yes, that absolutely is the person you married, who you made a covenant before God and promised. See, because I think a lot of this is fueled by a lie that culture tells us, and I think sometimes infiltrates into the church, is that marriage, and our culture kind of just says romantic relationships in general, but that marriage will make me happy. And we believe it. And so as soon as we stop feeling happy in our marriage, we think, well, I guess this is an illegitimate marriage. But maybe we just had illegitimate expectations for marriage. Maybe we believed a lie that wasn't even true. See, marriage is absolutely a source of joy in our life. Like God wasn't lying when he said, this is very good. In the last eight years being married to Amberlynn, I like 100%. These have been the most joy-filled years of my life because of her and our relationship, because of what we experienced together, because of the kids that we've had together. Like most joy I've ever experienced. Also the most difficult I've ever experienced. It often goes hand in hand. Does that mean that our marriage is junk? No. It just means that if I was expecting that it'd be easy and fun all the time, I had wrong expectations. So what should my focus be in my marriage if it's not what I get out of it? My focus should be, how can I serve? How can I give of myself on behalf of my spouse? See, this is something Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples. They were like, hey, Jesus, just wondering, like, can I be like your secondhand man? I'd love to be the greatest. (laughs) And Jesus is like, okay, sure. You want to be the greatest? Then serve everybody. They're like, well, that's not really what I meant. And Jesus is like, yeah, but that's what I meant. If you want to be the greatest, you'll be the servant of all. I mean, put yourself, like, j- just think about this. How amazing would it be if your spouse was constantly serving you and putting your needs before theirs? 
Wouldn't you love that? Well, be that spouse. Be that spouse. See, because Jesus charged the Pharisees, and, and again, like some of this, I hope this doesn't cr- come across heavy-handed at all, because this is like all the stuff that I'm putting down here is just stuff that God's been like, hey, um, you. But Jesus charged the Pharisees. He's like, you heap up burdens on others, but you won't lift a finger yourself. Because we all want to be married to somebody who looks like Jesus and loves like Jesus. But the reality is, is probably more of us love like a Pharisee. We have all these expectations for what we want our spouse to be and do. But when it comes to me, if, our, if my spouse ever says, hey, could you do this differently or something? It's like, what? Well, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I know that's just me. So nobody relates to that, but... <laughs> But I'm just telling you, it can be that bad. <laughs> I, you can, I could be that sinful. And so we, we all have these expectations and we're not willing to think about how our spouse would like to be served. Because it's uncomfortable. But maybe that, just this idea of, of being not, not being self-seeking and serving your spouse, maybe that's what God's kind of knocking on your heart about today. So I just encourage you, start doing it every day. Just do one thing to serve your spouse, not expecting anything in return. And hopefully you know your spouse well enough to know what kind of things are really meaningful to them. Maybe they hate doing the dishes, do some dishes. Maybe they just would really love for you to bring some kind of special little gift home or something. Do that. Maybe they just love some like real intentional one-on-one time, face-to-face, like you're really listening. Do that. What's one way that you could serve your spouse in big or small ways every day? Let's keep going. Love is not easily angered. Um, For some of us here, this is going to be the area that God wants to work on. And um, and this, you know, anger in in our relationships, it looks a little different for each of us. For some of us, anger is kind of a manipulation tool. Because we've learned that if I get angry, I get what I want. And so if I just escalate enough till I can shut my spouse down and then they walk away and I just win the fight, then that's what I'll do. Or maybe the communication in your relationship just stinks because as soon as somebody expresses a place of hurt or disappointment or missed expectations, it just turns into yelling. Or maybe you, and you just kind of give up your self-control and you start to operate based on how you're feeling emotionally in the moment and that anger flares up and you start to say hurtful things. And my guess is that for those who have that kind of persistent anger as part of their relationship, the tendency is to blame again. It's like, if, well, if my spouse wouldn't do this or if my spouse would just, blah, then I wouldn't get so mad. But we need to recognize that's not the problem. Jesus experienced the same kind of stuff and worse and never sinned in his anger. See, that's, this is what the Bible says. It says that it's possible to control your behavior and your emotions when you feel angry and that the Holy Spirit will help us to do that. And it's not accurate to blame other people. See, we see in the Old Testament, it says over and over and over again, God is slow to anger. And we are so thankful for that. So thankful for God's patience with us. And in James chapter one, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to get angry. That's a great verse for marriages. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, in your anger, like we will feel the emotion of anger, but in your anger, don't sin. Don't allow the emotion to control your behavior. And unfortunately for some of us, anger is a response that sometimes happens quicker than we can rationally think about it. Something happens and we just kick into angry mode. And it's sort of a defense mechanism that may have been built up for one reason or another. Maybe you had experiences in the past, maybe even as a child, that have led you to have significant anger issues now and it comes out in your marriage. And I would just highly recommend you maybe um, exploring some options with counseling or therapy. And it's, it's unfortunate how much kind of shame or weird stigma there is around that because if your leg fell off, you'd go to the doctor. But if your emotional leg falls off and you start beating your spouse with your words, it's embarrassing to go to the therapist. You should go. You should get some counseling. And let me just tell you, just you doing that, just you telling your spouse like, hey, I know this is a problem and I really want to get help. They will feel so loved by that. And I promise you that God will meet you in that place and heal those old wounds and you actually will start to see change and better things for you and for your uh, relationship. Because we can't control what's been done to us, right? Can't control what's happened in the past, but we do control what, how we respond to that now and how we can move forward and heal and trust Jesus with those places. So maybe for the sake of your marriage, you, you uh, need to ask God to help you just grow in that place of self-control. And so again, maybe it's, maybe it's a step into counseling. Maybe if you don't have that kind of thing, but it's sort of like just, the anger just kind of builds up and builds up and builds up. There's some stopping points along the way. If you start to feel that build up, you can say, hey, you know what? I just need to take a break for a moment. And you and your spouse need to talk about this, but give one another permission just to take a break, to walk away from the conversation, take some deep breaths before you just get, before it turns into a shouting match. Let the emotions come down and then come back and have a good conversation about what's going on. So that might be, uh, that might be it for you. The last one that we'll talk about out of, uh, out of this passage is that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs or it offers forgiveness readily. This one hit me early in marriage too when I realized that I was keeping track of who had done the dishes last. I don't like doing the dishes. It's lame. It's not fun. It's yucky. And it dries out my hands. <laughs> To which my wife bought some gloves. <laughs> it's annoying how smart she is. Uh, but early in marriage, it was like, you know, if, if I felt like I had done the dishes last time, then Amber Lynn should do them this time, right? You got these scales. And for whatever reason, you know, when you're the one keeping score, you always kind of have a finger on, on one side of the scales, right? It's like the score is never in the other person's favor. <laughs> even, if she did, even if she did dishes all week and then I did them yesterday, it's her turn again today. Um, but I think, and, and I came to realize, I was keeping score in a lot more ways than that. And I think many of us do. Things like, I feel like I'm doing more. And then you fill in the blank. Or I feel like I'm the one putting in all the effort in this relationship. 
I'm always thinking about them and it seems like they never think about me. Red flag, by the way, when you see, when you make those always or never statements. <laughs> really always? You must be, you must be really good. <laughs> or some of us have the bad habit of keeping a list of wrongs in our back pocket so that as soon as our spouse brings up something that maybe we've done that's hurt, been hurtful to them, they're like red card. Let's go over the last five years. <laughs> and that's just not okay. See, it's incredibly easy to let resentment build up in a marriage and let it grow all the way to the point where you just despise your spouse and you see nothing good about them. When you look at them, you only just see all the stuff that just bugs you. It's easy to do that. But again, let me tell you, that is a choice. That's a choice that you make on what thoughts you're going to allow yourself to entertain. And so we need to learn to forgive as Christ forgave us. And this kind of constant forgiveness that's necessary for marriage seems impossible until we realize how we've been forgiven by Jesus. Because Peter came to Jesus and he's like, hey, how many times are we supposed to forgive? And I think he thought he was trying to be like really spiritual when he was like, like seven times. And Jesus is like, um, try way more than that. Way, 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 way more than that. Because certainly like, think again, think about the way that Jesus forgives us. Certainly we've had tearful moments where we come to God and we're like, you know, oh, I messed up so bad. I really need your forgiveness. This was so awful that I did this and, you know, please help me. We've certainly had those moments, but how many more moments have we just done something and not even cared or done something and not even realized it? Just sinned blatantly, not noticed it or realized it or cared. We didn't ask for forgiveness, but did Jesus pull away from us relationally? Did he withhold his love? No. And why do we do that with our spouse? See, because God doesn't just ignore our sin either. He addresses it. He walks with us through it. So even in marriage, this is what forgiveness looks like in marriage. It's not that you ignore everything that, that has been said or every hurtful thing or every mixed expectation. You don't just ignore it, but you do forgive. You say, I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. It's not going to cause me to withhold my love or withhold relationship from you. And relationally together, we can communicate through this and walk through it. And so for some of us, this is what we, this might be our response today is that we need to intentionally learn how to forgive. And maybe there are some specific things that you need to, you need to spend some time with Jesus and be like, man, I am holding a lot of resentment towards my spouse. And I want to give that to you. I don't want to hold this. I want to see them the way that you see them. I want to move through forgiveness to a place of being able to honor my spouse. And here's the last thing that I'll bring up for today. And, and, I, and I love this. This is so perfect um, because I was asking Amber Lynn, you know, a couple weeks ago, and you guys have to put yourself in my shoes. Like if you knew that you were going to get up here and talk about marriage and your spouse was going to be listening, you would be sweating which I am. <laughs> and I'm just like, Lord, please help me not to be a hypocrite. Like, I don't want to get home and Amberlynn be like, really? <laughs> so 
So anyway, I was asking her for a lot of advice <laughs> this last week, and I just wanted her to get her perspective. And obviously, like, it's, it's all throughout all of this because it's a picture of our marriage. Like, that's how all of this stuff has worked out in our life. But it was just, it was so perfect because, like, my tendency just, ten, like, with our marriage tends to be like, we just need to do the right thing, and we need to, like, make sure we're keep, keep on doing the good stuff and whatever. And, and she's like, the, the one thing she said to me, she's like, vacations. <laughs> and I was like, that is so perfect because it's such an awesome picture of our marriage. Like the way that she just helps us to remember to have fun. And she's the one that kind of keeps the pulse of our family. And like, I think, she, I think we need to learn how to rest better. I think we need to learn how to take more time for our family. I think, Daniel, I think you've been too busy. I think you've been overcommitted and we need to make a change. She's the one that keeps the pulse of those things. And I've really learned to respect that and respond to that. Um, and so I just love that. It was like the perfect response for her and a, a great picture of just the dynamic of our marriage. But one of the best things that you can do for your marriage is to intentionally invest in having fun together. And what I mean by that is it is an investment. Like when you're dating, it's easy. And maybe early marriage, it's even still like pretty easy. But now we've got little kids in the house. Things have need to shift and change. And we still need to figure out ways to have fun together. So like literally one way, some of the ways that we do it, we literally have a line item in our budget for a certain amount of money every month for going on dates. We budget for that. We invest in that. Because we know that one of the best things that we can do and one of the best gifts, in fact, that we can give our kids is for them to see mom and dad like each other. There's a lot of marriages that love each other and are committed to one another. And you just don't remember the last time you liked your spouse. And so you need to intentionally take time, even though it will feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, what about the kids? What about my job? What about the money? What about the, and it's like, okay, you need to figure out in the season of life that you're in, what can you do? Don't just keep making excuses, figure out what can you do that's fun? What were things that you love doing when you're just first starting out your relationship? What are things that will remind you that you actually like each other? So for us, it's like we, you know, we'll get a babysitter and, and probably these days it's like every other week or something like that. We'll get a babysitter and um, go on a date, just the two of us. And then another thing that we try to do regularly is, is a couple times a year, we'll try to do, you know, a little weekend trip that's just the two of us or maybe a little bit longer trip and, and, uh, and just, just the two of us. Because we need to remember like, yes, we, we, we love each other and we like each other and we love having fun together. It's so important. And I love that that was the thing that she said. And so I don't know what it is for you, but just talk about that with your spouse. What are the things that you guys love doing together? And maybe you've lost that, but just come back around to it. Start trying some stuff out. Put away the distractions and stuff and just be with one another and do something that's gonna make you laugh together and have fun. So here's just kind of the last little thing that I'd love for all of us to reflect on um, is simply this. Jesus, in what way are you calling me to die so we can experience your resurrection life in our marriage? What are ways that I need to die to myself so that we can experience resurrection life in our marriage? So again, just ask the Lord, what is it? Repentance? Is it honoring my spouse, serving my spouse, having self-control, 
granting forgiveness, or maybe just learning how to have fun again. And if you're really brave, I encourage you to maybe ask your spouse. Maybe that's how the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you, <laughs> is by your spouse saying, you know what, this is, I think for you, this is the one. And you could ask one another if you're really brave. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and invite people to start uh, serving communion. And I think this is a beautiful way to end because often um, I think it's just natural when you hear a talk about marriage, although I've tried to, you know, do my best to just emphasize that this is, this is something we do with the Holy Spirit. This is one of those things where it's like, in my weakness, he was strong. But I love that with communion, we get to um, remember that Jesus' death on the cross was certainly for our forgiveness, but it was also for our sanctification and for the, the renewal of our relationships. So even as we take communion today, again, whether you're married or not, I want you to think about relationships that are important to you. And just thank Jesus that he has made a way that we can experience relationship and begin to step into them in the way that he created us to. So as they're passing the plate, you know, anybody is free to take communion here who's put their faith in Jesus. Okay, you don't have to be a member at this church, but we do ask that you've put your faith in Jesus because this is a celebration of something that he's already done inside our heart. And so if, if this is something that Jesus has done, if you've, if you've received that free gift of salvation from Jesus, then please participate and celebrate that with us. If you haven't, then just please wait. And I would love to, if you wanna come up afterwards, if you're like, actually, I wanna do that today, come up and talk to me. And I'd love to serve you communion for the first time when you give your life to Jesus. I invite you to pray uh, with me as we prepare to take communion. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood. And we read out of 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. And Jesus, we do thank you for the incomparable gift that we've been given in you. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood. That you didn't just come to give us nice teachings and nice thoughts about life, life hacks. But you gave yourself something we never could have even dreamed to ask for. And Jesus, I just, I just pray for our church family. I pray for marriages, Lord, that we would be a church that just has awesome marriages, not 
not necessarily perfect marriages, <laughs> but just awesome, amazing gospel showing marriages that people would see um, just the story of scripture played out in marriages. And so for some marriages, that's gonna mean they need some redemption. And God, we do ask that you would take back what's been stolen, that you would redeem And Father, just, uh, I'll just say on behalf of myself, but maybe there's others who agree with me, Lord. I just, I just repent of my sin, Lord. I just know I've been so selfish, so prideful, always thinking about me. I know I've hurt my wife because of my selfishness. I recognize that and I thank you for your forgiveness that is so available and your grace that just is always being lavished on me. God, will we just thank you and, and, and rejoice that we know that the truth over every marriage represented in this room, people watching online, people watching later this week, the truth about those marriages is that you have already poured out your grace that there is no such thing as too far gone. God, that you can restore to that marriage the joy of your salvation. And God, we just, again, we just repent of looking to our spouse to do something that only you were meant to do in our lives. Looking to our spouse for joy or for happiness when really we know that ultimately comes from you. God, we, we just admit that there's been so many ways that we've fallen short and we just ask for your Holy Spirit to continue to change us from the inside out. We, we repent of our hard heartedness. God, that maybe things that seem like brand new to us today, maybe you've been trying to speak to us for a while, but we've just been so hard hearted and so stuck in our own ways and just wanted to stay comfortable that we haven't heard your voice calling us to a more beautiful life with you. And Jesus, we just thank you for your constant pursuit and your gentleness and your patience with us. That you don't just leave us where we are, stuck in the mud, but you welcome us home with a robe and a ring, new shoes for our feet and you throw a party. God, I pray for those in this room who have never given their life to you today might be the day they would feel you calling them home. And maybe the thing that's prompting it this morning is just because their marriage is just really hurting. Or maybe they've lost their marriage. And God, they're recognizing this morning their need for you. I just pray that they would see the fact that they, there's just a loving heavenly father who wants to welcome them home. God, I also just ask for those um, in our church family who are, who have lost their marriage and are grieving that. Maybe they've lost a spouse and are grieving the loss of that spouse who's passed away. God, I pray that you would be exactly who you say you are, that you are the God of all comfort. 
God, again, there is nobody who is disqualified from having an amazing relationship with you. We just thank you that, Jesus, in you we find all that we need.